it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Nearly one-third of all American adults have high blood pressure, and more than half of them don't have it under control. Simply seeing a doctor and taking medications isn't enough for many people who have high blood pressure. A team-based approach by patients, healthcare systems, and healthcare providers is one of the best ways to treat uncontrolled high blood pressure. Patients can improve control by measuring and recording their own blood pressure between office visits and by taking medications as prescribed. Healthcare systems can use electronic health records and patient registries to find and follow up with patients and automatically notify doctors about patients who have high blood pressure readings. Healthcare providers can see patients with high blood pressure more often until control is achieved. To learn more about the ways we can all work together to achieve blood pressure control, visit www.cdc.gov slash vital signs. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the second half of Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, email me. I'd love to hear from you. You have some suggestions, some comments, or you might have an answer to a, you know, giveaway. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Please follow because I do give away a lot of things. Today I'll be giving away a book by Chad Sanders called Black Magic. Um, He delves into, you know, the trauma and issues that African-Americans face going into different industries and how they survived and turned it into, like, magic. We all have magic somewhere. Well, this show is about multiple sclerosis because this is Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. And I think it's a very important issue. I have a family member who had multiple sclerosis. I know people who have it, and it impacts people. You may not even know they have it because it may not be visible, but it is there. So I have two professionals to speak to you about what it is and how to treat it and the signs and symptoms. Um, There are two doctors, um, Dr. Kalina Sanders. Um, She is a board-certified neurologist. She specializes in multiple sclerosis and spasticity management. And Dr. Mima Ankinsanya is a board-certified neurologist. 
and currently serving as a neuroimmunology fellow at the NIH. So I think they're both on the line. Let's see here. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Yes, I can. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. And who is this? This is Dr. Sanders. Hi, Dr. Sanders. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here. Oh, I think that's Mima. Mima, is that you? Hi, yes, Dr. Mima Akintanya. Okay, so it's Mima. Now, um, you guys are like really in high fields in the black neurologists. I remember I was talking to uh, Mima the other day, and she was like, I think I know all the black neurologists. <laughs> um, but let me just ask you real quick. It has nothing to do with multiple sclerosis, but Dr. Sanders, what do you think your black magic has been in becoming a black neurologist? You know, I think from a um, black magic standpoint, I think we we represent such a small percentage of the neurologists in the country. And I think one of our, our black magic is being able to reach and engage with our community and provide resources for them that they oftentimes miss or are fearful of getting with other um, ethnic groups. And so I think part of our black magic is being able to connect with the community, um, specifically the African-American community, so that they get what they need. Dr. Ankinsanya, what what do you think your black magic has done? Yeah, that's a great question. I love the ability to relate with my black patient and Oftentimes, I find that there is a certain level of comfort that they feel with someone who looks like them and, you know, has some similar experiences to them. So it helps to break um, some of the barriers there is with uh, healthcare distress in the black community. So I really love Mm -hmm. just being able to connect with my patients um, in both being black um, and, you know, the unique experience of being black in America. Um, thank you for really sharing those um, personal insights uh, with us. So let's talk about multiple sclerosis. Uh, I'm going to start with Dr. Sanders. What is multiple sclerosis? Like in a couple sentences, what is it? So, so multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune condition in which the immune system, which is usually meant to fight bacteria and viruses, mistakes your nervous system as being foreign and it attacks it. It attacks the nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord and leads to the neurological symptoms that people present with. Now, Dr. Ankinsanya, what are some of the symptoms that people may experience? Patients can have weakness um, in an arm or leg or on one side of their body. They can also have numbness, um, again, in an arm or leg or one side of their body. They may have difficulty with their vision. For example, you know, slowly um, over days to weeks having uh, decreased vision in one of their eyes or trouble seeing uh, certain colors. They can also have um, issues with bladder, um, you know, going to the bathroom too frequently, um, and they can have trouble walking. Those are some of the main symptoms. 
Doctor, uh, I want to tell the audience, Dr. Sanders is here on behalf of the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, and Dr. Anking Sanya is here. Uh, like I said, she's a fellow at the NIH. I just want to give a shout-out to those two organizations. Uh, Dr. Sanders, um, I, I understand for many people it takes quite a while to get diagnosed. Why is that? Why does it take such a long time sometimes? They may have to go to multiple doctors to get the right diagnosis. I think one of the biggest reasons why it's difficult to make the diagnosis is because it's not a uniform presentation. So there's a lot of variability in the way that people present. Um, and so it makes it a little bit difficult to kind of boil it down to a single diagnosis. The other thing that's difficult is that we don't have truly one um, diagnostic tool that leads to the diagnosis. I will say, though, it is a clinical diagnosis, and so it takes the neurologist or the physician that's evaluating the patient to get the appropriate history and exam findings that tells us that this may be a possibility. Then we rely on um, imaging as one of our biggest tools to make the diagnosis. And so there are some people in whom their history is not 100% consistent or their exam findings may not be revealing or their imaging may not be as significant. Um, and so it really does take using the right tools in the right clinical setting to reach that diagnosis. And also, it may take time for people to present fully as multiple sclerosis. So they may, it may require additional events of, or uh, new symptoms to occur for us to get, gather enough information to make that diagnosis. So it's difficult. Yeah, I've heard that story. It's also similar with lupus. Some people have problems getting diagnosed because of the symptoms varying and things. Um, Dr. Ankinsanya, um, there are different types of MS. It is not just like a blanket, you know, prognosis, so to speak. Can you tell us about the different types, like relapsing, remitting, and, and secondary? Can you tell us about those different um, types of multiple sclerosis? Yes. Sometimes patients come in with just one episode, which we call a flare. Um, so, for example, they may have had weakness in their right arm, and we do a diagnostic workup, and it's consistent with multiple sclerosis, but they've never had any other um, flares in their life, um, and we can call that clinically isolated syndrome, meaning they just have had one flare, but the other aspects of their diagnostic workup are consistent with multiple sclerosis, and they have a higher likelihood to um, develop the full disease as time goes on. There's also relapsing remitting, which is patients who have had at least two flares uh, that are consistent with multiple sclerosis, and again, their diagnostic workup is also consistent with that. Some patients don't have um, discrete flares. They just have symptoms that kind of slowly get worse over time, and we call that primary progressive MS. And then other patients start off as relapsing remitting. Again, they've had multiple flares, but then they stop having discrete, distinct flares, and they only have symptoms that are just slowly getting worse over time, and those are called secondary progressive MS. Dr. Sanders, can you die from MS? Is, is this something that you can die from? I don't believe that you can die specifically from MS. Um, there isn't any part of the disease that results in your heart stopping per se. 
However, we know that patients that have um, accumulated more disability can over time develop secondary things that can oftentimes shorten the lifespan. And that means if they become immobile and bedridden, they, this can result in bed sores and other types of infections that can result in the loss of life. Um, but in general, and, and those patients who remain fairly active and mobile and, and functional, we don't see that it in, in and of itself causes death. Dr. Ankin Sanya, um, who is going to get it? And, it, like, is it contagious? Can I get it from my friend if they have it? Who, who is more susceptible to getting multiple sclerosis? Yeah, so to answer the contagious question, it is not contagious. It's not something that you can give to someone else by touching or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of who can get it, anyone can get it. It's not seen in only one population. Um, global studies have seen that it's more common in Europe, people from European descent, um, people who are further away from the equator. There's thought to be um, uh, an association with, you know, being further away from the equator, meaning further away from the sun and lower vitamin D levels have been associated with risk of developing MS. But we also see it in, you know, people who are not from European descent. So, for example, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, uh, Hispanic-Americans, just for American populations and um, all ethnicities um, have um, a chance of developing MS. And we've actually seen that specifically in the U.S. there is uh, the highest incidence, meaning new cases of MS are actually seen in African-American women. Um, So we do have um, a lot of African-American women in the U.S. who have developed MS. So is it more women and men just in general, um, or, or, or is it kind of even men and women, no matter ethnicity? Yeah, that's a good question. So women are more likely than men to develop MS, and that's a common theme we see in diseases that um, develop from autoimmunity or the immune system kind of going haywire and um, attacking the body, like Dr. Sanders previously explained. And it's actually seen three times more common in women than it is in men for MS specifically. Dr. Sanders, what can a person do once they diagnose? What is the treatment? And is it the same? Because I know there's lots of different injectables. Now there are pills. Um, Just walk us through what can the person do to, I guess, can they get rid of MS? Is it curable? That's that's also a great question. And unfortunately, MS, there is no cure for it. However, we have several disease-modifying therapies that tend to alter the course of MS. I think we're up to about 21 now. Um, wow. And so when a, person is, when a person is diagnosed with MS and I discuss treatment options for them, I really discuss two different ways in which we can treat MS. So one is the disease-modifying therapies that we, I just mentioned, and then the other is symptomatic therapies, and that would also include lifestyle modifications. But as it relates to the disease-modifying therapies, as I mentioned, I think we're up to about 21 now with the most recently uh, medicine FDA approved this past week. Um, And they do stretch from injectable medications, which I like to call our oldies but goodies. Um, Then we have our oral medications, for which we have several options for. 
And then we also have infusion therapies. Now, the decision on which therapy is best for an individual person should be a shared decision-making between the patient and their healthcare provider. And the healthcare provider will take into a lot of different um, things that are going on with the patient, how they presented, what their MRIs look like, how much disability do they already have, do they have um, that are quite, or I'm sorry, diagnostic criteria or things that show that this person may have a more severe disease, and that might help guide the provider counseling the patient on which might be the best option for them. Now, that's the disease-modifying therapy that helps to prevent the immune system from attacking the nervous system. But there is still the damage to the nervous treating MS. We also have to look at the current symptoms that a person has, has and we can make certain recom specific recommendations based on controlling their symptoms. And then to throw in there that lifestyle modification, that's very, very important. And I think when it comes to the management of the disease, it takes involving all three aspects. Now, um, Dr. Dr. Sanders mentioned about lifestyle. Can people exercise if they have MS? Um, do they need to uh, eat certain kinds of foods? I, I hear, I've read things about vitamin D, um, B12 shots, um, but, but mainly just like food and exercise. Can people exercise and what types of food should they avoid or should they eat more of? Yeah, that's a great question. Exercise has been shown to be very beneficial um, overall, as we know, but specifically in MS. Um, it can be very helpful just in terms of, you know, making sure cardiovascular health is, um, you know, as optimal as possible. It can help patients who have, you know, some stiffness in their limbs. Um, people who have uh, balance difficulties, exercise can help with that. So I always recommend that um, people, you know, have an exercise regimen and, you know, you can tailor that to what you are able to do. Some people, if, you know, they have more difficulties than others, they may need to kind of have a modified um, exercise regimen, but it's definitely helpful to exercise. I actually did um, a study some years back in medical school looking at yoga for sleep and found that it was beneficial um, for to help decrease fatigue in MS patients. Um, so, again, you, it doesn't have to be one specific exercise regimen. People can consider yoga. They can um, consider Pilates, stretching exercises, whatever they're comfortable with. But exercise is definitely helpful with sleep, with fatigue, um, and just overall well-being. And in terms of foods to avoid, there's, there hasn't been any specific diets that have been shown to be detrimental in MS or even beneficial specifically for MS. But what I usually tell people is, you know, a Mediterranean diet has been shown to be helpful in cardiovascular health. So when patients are just looking for, you know, specific diet recommendations, I usually recommend that just because we know that it does help with um, cardiovascular health. But overall healthy eating, you know, avoiding um, things that are high in um, bad fats, you know, fruits, vegetables, trying to avoid fried foods, those things that we, those are things that we know will help you overall. And so, you know, if your overall body is in great shape, then that will also benefit you in terms of your MS. 
Um, Dr. Sanders, I've uh, been reading about anti-inflammatory, you know, foods um, and and, um, herbs like turmeric. Um, Also, some people talked about using acupuncture or massage. Um, Are are you familiar with these? And and if so, is there a benefit? Is, Is there a proven benefit? So there, there isn't any proven benefit, any, any significant rigorous trials. Um, however, I think the overall thought, as it was previously mentioned, that um, that anti-inflammatory type of diet and approach is key for maintenance of a preparing your body, in a sense, in order to make it successful. Um, I think when it comes to alternative treatments or complementary treatments, I should say, such as acupuncture and massage therapy, they're very key in symptom control. So many of my patients find that acupuncture is successful in treating their pain, sometimes their spasticity or muscle stiffness, um, as well as with the massage therapy. So I think it's very important, as we mentioned before, when we are combating the disease to ensure that our patients have a successful journey and, and healthy lifestyle is to include all of those, including those complementary treatments. Um, Dr. Ankinsaya, um I'm just going to go back to the beginning, I guess, of a kind of a – when somebody gets diagnosed, can they get diagnosed at birth? I mean, when somebody's born, can they find out whether they have MS? Or when do they find out? Not until they have a symptom? Is there any research happening to try to figure out, can we get diagnosed before things happen? Yeah, that's a good question. MS is not something that we diagnose at birth. There's not a study or some type of lab test that we can test, you know, when a mother is pregnant or, you know, as soon as the baby is born with some other diseases to know, you know, even though we don't see any symptoms, this baby will develop MS in the future. Um, There are some children who are diagnosed with MS, you know, who are very young, um, but we need to see um, symptoms that are consistent with MS and, you know, MRI or imaging findings or findings in the blood or in the spinal fluid that also um, are consistent with MS as well. Um, In terms of how people can get it, it's thought to be multiple things that contribute to it. We don't have currently an answer specifically, this is the one thing that causes MS, and it probably isn't one thing. It's probably, again, multiple things kind of working together. Um, There is thought to be a genetic component, um, not necessarily one specific gene, but there are, there's been multiple genes that have been associated with a higher likelihood of MS. And um, people, for example, um, with family uh, members with MS have a higher likelihood than, you know, someone without family members to develop MS, but it's not um, a 100% guaranteed thing. And even if you have an identical twin, um, you you have about a 20 to 30% chance of developing MS, but again, that's not 100%. So it's not completely genetic. but there is a genetic component. And I know we, I, we talked a little bit earlier about people who are further away from the equator. There's also been um, relation to people who have the Epstein-Barr virus or EBV. It doesn't cause it, but it's associated with it. Um, smoking and obesity have also been associated with an increased risk of developing MS. 
but there's no surefire way we know if someone is going to develop it or not. It's just kind of all these things together we think probably contribute to the likelihood of developing it. Uh, Dr. Sanders, I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this, but, you know, people are having these symptoms, but maybe they're still able to work. How do they approach their employer? How do they get, like, like things like FMLA um, when they're uh, trying to continue to work? So our overall goal is to keep our patients employable and engaged in life because that's how they do well. Um, and so what I, what I oftentimes counsel my patients on doing is to get a feel of what their workplace um, tolerance is for things like disability. Um, but I encourage them to talk with their HR department um, and then to, com- to ask for things like um, Family Medical Leave Act, um, which helps to protect their job should they need to be absent. And then we are obviously willing to complete that paperwork so that they are protected within the workplace. The other thing that we also look to or strive to do is to have appropriate accommodations for them. So there may be things that that they can do within the workplace to ensure that they remain employable. So we work on an individual basis depending on what their specific needs are. Um, But we definitely do encourage our patients to remain engaged in society as long as they can. Um, Yeah, I I brought that up because um, I want people to know that, like you mentioned earlier, both of you, that the symptoms vary from person to person. And also people can have it and they may not show any physical outward symptoms. This is correct, Dr. Ankinsanya. People could have MS and nobody's going to know of just that, that person because they're not limping or using a cane or in a wheelchair. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. I have um, have had plenty of patients who had MS, um, but their symptoms are very mild or even they recovered fully from whatever their attack was. And, you know, it's not something that you can see outwardly. Or sometimes their symptoms do affect them on the day-to-day, but if you saw them walking down the street, like you said, they're not limping, they're not using a walker or a wheelchair or a cane, um, but, you know, it might be, for example, if they had what's called optic neuritis or inflammation of their optic nerve and they have vision loss, that's not something you can see looking at someone, but it is something that can affect them and be significantly um, significant in their life, even though it's not something that you would know just looking at them on the street. Dr. So Sanders, how can family... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, w- I would jump in and say that fatigue is also a big component of patients who, who are living with MS, and oftentimes that's something that you cannot see, but does significantly impact their ability to function from day to day. Also, the, the effect on um, cognitive abilities, could, um, Dr. Sanders, could you talk about that a little bit? That can, that can happen over time, correct? Yes, it can happen over time, but it can also be present at the onset of their of their disease course. So it is clear okay. that we see cognitive difficulties even in patients who present in that clinically isolated syndrome. Um, we we don't quite understand clearly what the underlying basis is, but we do think though that there is slowness of the processing speed, 
there's difficulty with retrieval of information. And so a lot of our patients have difficulties with multitasking, which is, is what we do in life. And so that may also have an impact on their ability to remain in the workplace and do the things that they enjoy doing. So cognition is one aspect that we are increasing in, in knowledge and research about. And on a medical side of things, really making an effort into understanding it, trying to figure out how we measure it, and, and also trying to figure out how do we manage it as well. Wow, we have covered a lot of ground today. Um, you guys are awesome with the knowledge that you have brought to the table this morning. I appreciate you, and I appreciate the work you're doing as neurologists, as black female neurologists. It makes me smile to say that. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear my voice. <laughs> um, but I want to thank you for your time. I thank the National Multiple Sclerosis Society and the National Institute for Health for providing you to me today. Thank you, Dr. Sanders, and thank you, Dr. Ankinsanya. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much. It was a you guys both have a great weekend, and maybe check out some pancakes like Chad did earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I will All do. Right, thank you. you. Too. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Please, please check out the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Um, they have a lot of wonderful information. They have support groups. They have uh, information about how to find doctors, help, uh, help uh, with uh, insurance matters. Um, you can call them. They're definitely online at Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Um, their, their web address is nationalmssociety.org, nationalmssociety.org. And um, please definitely also check out the National Institutes for Health, of Health uh, they have a lot of wonderful information, but I think the MS Society just has, um, I feel like the, the community is there um, that can help you, you know, maybe have, you know, find out a chapter in your area. You can look up by zip code um, a chapter. So you guys have a great weekend. Follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook Saturday mornings with Joy Keys and on Instagram Saturdays with Joy Keys. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager, learning the lingo. GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.